Pushkin. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Uh, TJ, don't you just love the music of the Beatles? Tony, that's not the Beatles. That's the DVD menu music from the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Oh, I know that, TJ. I just love the Beatles so much, I even love the sound-alike bands. Well, I'm a purist, Tony, and I'm looking through you. I'm Tony. And I'm TJ. And we host the Untitled Beatles podcast. It's a celebration of the Fab Four with us, a couple of improv idiots. Yeah, it's like hanging out backstage at a Chicago comedy club doing bits about the best band in the world. Thank you. Now, TJ, would you say that we're like the Siskel and Ebert of Beatles podcasts? You know, Tony, I would not. The Greg Codd and Jim DeRogatis? Uh, no. Captain and Tennille? Tony, we're the Jimmy Nickel and Kurt Claudio of Beatles podcasts. Well, hey, I get to be Kurt Claudio. No, you're the drummer. I'm Kurt Claudio. Have any toast? <laughs> Untitled Beatles podcast. Listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. We admired a singer at that time called Bruce Chanel, I think his name yeah, was, uh-huh. who had a song called Hey Baby, yes, where there was a harmonica riff. So we started doing Hey Baby. Mm-hmm. I sang it, John played the harmonica. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the contributory factors for when we were going to write something. That's a good idea. This harmonica thing's a good idea. John could play it well. We could write something that would feature a harmonica. You know, instruments come in sort of vogues. I mean, you think of skiffle. Yes. Guitar was was like a harmonic. It's what everyone got for Christmas. It's what everyone got, and that then spawned the '60s revolution. I'm Paul Muldoon, and I've been fortunate to spend time with one of the greatest songwriters of our era. And will you look at me? I'm going on tour. I'm actually a performer. That is Sir Paul McCartney. We worked together on a book looking at the lyrics of more than 150 of his songs. And we recorded many hours of our conversations. 
It was like going back to an old snapshot album, looking back on work I hadn't ever analyzed. This is McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, a masterclass, a memoir, and an improvised journey with one of the most iconic figures in popular music. In this episode, Love Me Do. group like the Beatles to come into existence, you need quite a few planets to align. But you also need prodigious talent, clever strategy, and insatiable drive. In this episode, we trace the origins of one of the earliest Beatles songs. These days, it's difficult to remember a time before the Beatles. But back when Paul McCartney and John Lennon wrote Love Me Do, they were merely schoolboys trying to make a hit. In the afternoons, I sometimes had a rather kind of light class that I could get out of. And so I would say I had a dentist appointment or something. And they didn't check too heavily. So I would be able to get on the bus, go back home and arrange to meet John, who around about that time was going to the art college next door in my school. So we'd meet up at my house, which is now a National Trust establishment, 24th and Road. And we would meet there because that was the most convenient place and my mum and dad wouldn't be there. So we would go there and start just knocking around, showing each other stuff that we'd written already. And then writing new stuff together. And this involved a couple of songs that have never been published or never been heard. Uh, uh, Songs like um, Just Fun was one of them. Mm -hmm. And they they were very rough little things, but, you know, it was the start. Right. Now, do you still have copies of those? Are there still copies of them? You know, uh, I do, I say, or did have an old school exercise book, it's right. a nice little blue book, mm-hmm. a hardback. And in that, I wrote, just fun. Um, da, 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 da. Just fun, they said that our love was just fun. The day that our friendship begun, there's no blue moon that I can see there's never been in history because our love was just fun. Kind of country, and then Too Bad About Sorrows was sort of, Too Bad About Sorrows, wah, 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 ooh, do I think it's a little doo thing. This was the start. Um, and then it, I'd written in Angel Voices. In that little blue notebook, where the two schoolboys had scribbled their very first lyrics, there was evidence Lennon and McCartney envisioned themselves following in the footsteps of other songwriting giants. And at the top of the page I'd written another Lennon McCartney original. So you already had a sense, even though you were, what, 16? Yeah. A little older perhaps, that you would have a future. Did yeah. You, did you, I mean... I think it was more a sort of wish than a sense. It was more, you know, this thing, if you visualise it, 
it might come true. And, you know, when you think of Lennon McCartney, it was because we'd heard of Gilbert Sullivan, Rogers and Hammerstein, but if we didn't, it'd be Lennon McCartney. That's good, there's two of us, and we could we can make up one of those type names. Lieber and Stoller, Goffin and King. Well, these were magic names to us. We didn't realise Goffin and King was Carol King. Mm-hmm. We didn't realise it was a girl. Mm-hmm. And an amazingly young woman. I Very young, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it was thrilling to know that there were these people out there, and this is what we wanted to be. And Love Me Do came around that period, 1 after 909. Love Me Do and 1 after 909 actually got published and actually got recorded. The others didn't get recorded, and the, the school exercise book, I found it probably about 10, 15 years ago. Put it in my bookcase, and I've since lost it. Oh, no. I don't know where it is. Oh, I dear. think it might show up somewhere. I hope But so. it's the first ever sort of Leonard McCartney manuscript. Oh, dear. Anyway, yeah, well, oh, dear is right. But, you know, you have to let these things go. Right. Come on, baby, don't be cold as Another duo which had a profound influence on young Lennon and McCartney was the Everly Brothers. There are certain people that you can credit for pretty much everything we did. Because I, I think that's true of everyone. I think everyone's got a hero that forms them. So, as John and I were two male vocalists who sang in harmony, our biggest influence was the Everly Brothers, who we loved, adored, to this day. Uh, I, I just think they're the greatest. And it was different. You'd have barbershop quartets, you'd heard the Beverly Sisters, the three girls, you'd heard all that, but just two guys, good-looking guys, this is good. Oh yeah. Mm, you got a will about you. Now I can't live without you. So yeah, we loved them and idolized them and, and wanted to be like them. Uh-huh. I kissed you. Oh yeah. It's like when people later would see the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, live from New York. I meet a trillion people who say that I knew that's what I wanted to be. Last Sunday, on our show in New York, the Beatles played to the greatest TV audience that's ever been assembled in the history of American TV. When I saw you four-headed monster on the telly, I knew I've got to be part of this. Our current manager of Beatles Apple Records says that. Bruce Springsteen says that. David Letterman says that. They all formed on that night, formed this this future for themselves. And there we were in Liverpool forming this future in the same kind of deal. Small business owners, this one's for you. 
Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. Member, FDIC, Copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Lennon and McCartney were working in the wake of all these great songwriting duos who wrote songs for others to sing, and singers like the Everly Brothers who sang other people's songs. But there were also people like Buddy Holly who could do it all. You know you love me, baby. Still you tell me maybe that someday will I'll be the day. Buddy Holly to us was amazing for a number of reasons. He sang and played guitar. Elvis just sang and Scotty Moore played guitar. He not only played guitar, he played the solos. Normally if you played guitar, there was another guy in the group who was a lead guitar who played the solos. But Buddy sang and played guitar and played the solos. He also wrote the stuff. So this was like all-inclusive one-man band. And we really thought that was great. So this is what we have to do. Buddy Holly inspired the youngsters to explore their full musical potential. And he also helped John Lennon overcome his embarrassment about wearing glasses. He also wore these big horn-rimmed glasses, and as did John. And if ever there would be a girl coming around, John would whip his glasses off and put them in his pocket <laughs> and squint as she went by. And 
I don't see, you look pretty good, the glasses are good now. But when Buddy came along, the glasses stayed on. It was like Harry Potter with all the kids. Buddy Holly had more than just the musical chops and the suave image that John Lennon and Paul McCartney coveted for themselves. The name of his group, Buddy Holly and the Crickets, had a certain entomological ring to it. The name, the Crickets. Right. You know, we wanted something with a dual meaning, and it turned out they didn't know they had a dual meaning. The Crickets? Yeah. They They didn't didn't know about the game Cricket. Oh, I see. No, they just thought it was grasshoppers. Right. So we said to them, I met them years later, I said, fantastic, man, the Beatles. We we loved cricket, chirpy little things, and the great game of cricket. What a brilliant name for a group. And they went, you know, oh, no, we just heard a grasshopper in the studio (laughs) wall, you know. Uh, uh, Do you remember sitting around thinking, Buddy Holly and the Crickets, the Beatles will be a great name for us. Oh, yeah. My memory of it was that we were striving to find something with a dual meaning. Right. Because of the crickets. This is the idea. Now, the actual origin of it is clouded in mystery. Mm-hmm. You know, I missed you. Ever since the club split up, I missed you. But there are all sorts of theories about this. There's uh, the wild ones with yes. Marlon Brando. Mm-hmm. And at one point, Lee Marvin says, hey, Johnny, Johnny, or what, Johnny, I think he's called. Come on, Johnny. We all missed you. Did you miss him? Yeah. yeah. Johnny, we love you. You know, come on back to the gang or something like that. Johnny, we love you. The Beatles love you. Did you miss him? Yeah. yeah. Sure. The Beatles missed you. All the Beatles missed you. It turns out the, the moles, the girls in the motorcycle gang were called Beatles. I see. It says the Beatles love you. Johnny, for old times. And I know John and Stuart... His, his art school friend, Stuart, right. Stuart Sutcliffe, loved that film, as we all did. I think they'd seen it. I think we just loved it and hadn't seen it. Anyway, so that's one of the theories. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase, N.A. member, FDIC, 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. 
This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Ah, uh, TJ, don't you just love the music of the Beatles? Tony, that's not the Beatles. That's the DVD menu music from the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Oh, I know that, TJ. I just love the Beatles so much, I even love the sound-alike bands. Well, I'm a purist, Tony, and I'm looking through you. <laughs> I'm Tony. And I'm TJ. And we host the Untitled Beatles podcast. It's a celebration of the Fab Four with us, a couple of improv idiots. Yeah, it's like hanging out backstage at a Chicago comedy club doing bits about the best band in the world. Thank you. Now, TJ, would you say that we're like the Siskel and Ebert of Beatles podcasts? You know, Tony, I would not. The Greg Codd and Jim DeRogatis? Uh, no. Captain and Tennille? Tony, we're the Jimmy Nickel and Kurt Claudio of Beatles podcasts. Well, hey, I get to be Kurt Claudio. No, you're the drummer. I'm Kurt Claudio. Have any toast? <laughs> Untitled Beatles podcast. Listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Today, it's easy to forget how the creation of the Beatles required thousands of small choices. Songs which are now canonized were once simple phrases. Two boys having fun when no parents were home, one of them with a notebook in hand, the other playing a harmonica. At one of those writing sessions, 24thland Road, yes. up a little garden path, past my dad's lavender hedge, you know, we would write, uh, love me do, and John came up with this little harmonica riff. It's so simple. I mean, you well, look at it now. Here. Yes. It, it, there's nothing to it. Uh-huh. It's a will of a wisp uh-huh. little song. Love me do. Oh, love me do. So, what do you think made it become such a potent, powerful? I think our image and our energy as the four Beatles was what was potent, and um, it had a very fresh sound. Right. That's the sort of thing that people notice, and we had a very fresh image. Uh-huh. Nobody looked like us. Uh-huh. And we'd been working at it a long time in Liverpool, originally, as a really a bunch of rockers, you know, with the quiffs and everything. Gone over to Hamburg uh-huh. as the rockers, had got a little bit leatherified uh-huh. there, and then it moved from leather to suits at the request of Brian Epstein. Brian Epstein, an entrepreneurial young man from a family of successful retailers in Liverpool, had stumbled upon the Beatles at a 1961 lunchtime concert. He had no experience managing artists, but he did have lots of confidence. So in short order, he signed a contract to manage the band and told them to get suited up. And so we all went over to Ben O'Dorn, who was in the Wirral, uh, Birkenhead, uh, a tailor. We'd never been to a tailor, really, you know, so certainly not en masse. We all went over and got suits. So we had this image. We had all the experience, musical experience of Hamburg, of playing a lot. You're 10,000 hours, Mr. Gladwell's right. 10,000 hours. So when we kind of then came on the scene, and was seen on television. We had a freshness, complete simplicity. The Love Me Do is 
it's got a slightly sort of bluesy thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a blues. No. But it's got a simplicity, a, like a little sort of down home on the porch with a couple of guitars and a harmonica. Love do. At the heart of these simple lyrics is a familiar story. A young man yearning for a woman to love. Someone to love. Someone like you. It's a funny thing, you try and recreate that stuff now, and it's almost impossible. Why? Because you were 16, that's why. You were looking at the world, and the world was good. Mm-hmm. And there was this marvellous rock and roll future unfolding itself. And you were about to become part of it. So your longings for a girl, mm-hmm. which was impossible to achieve. Right. You know, nobody had that little perfect high school sweetheart. You, you know, so there was this great longing for your career is you didn't know what you were going to do, and it was a dread of all dreads. I was about to go to teacher's training college, and I was trying to put that off forever. <laughs> I did not want to go into that mold. Mm-hmm. So you, there was all these different kinds of longings. John and I's mothers had both died, yes. which was this amazing bond between us. We both understood the anguish of that, and at that age, it's largely unspoken. Mm-hmm. You just say, oh, your mother died? Yeah, so did mine. Um, we knew, I knew the circumstances of his mother's death, he knew the circumstances of mine. And we would talk about it a little bit. <clears throat> but being young boys, you didn't talk about it much. Right. So all this was rolled up into this package, mm-hmm. this longing, and it spilled out which is the best way to write. Love me do. Oh, love me do. Some of this longing for their mothers, for love, for artistry, was fairly abstract. But they also had more concrete ambitions. They had met other songwriting teams who churned out hits and made good money. John and I looked at them and said, right, we could do that. Mm-hmm. What a good idea. If we get hits, that will then get money. And it may not buy us love, but it'll buy us a car. I must admit, you know, we were young guys without any money, coming from Liverpool with dreams. And once we realised that to write a hit song would get you some money, it was very attractive, very attractive thought. And it wasn't just the money, it was then the joy of pulling a song out of a hat, being able to play it with our band, which needed songs. So we were sort of feeding the machine. I want to hold your hand, take one. Do it slower. No. Clean beginning. Later, when the Fab Four moved from writing in the parlour room to writing in the studio, they learned to crank out hits at an impressive pace. Take four. Our recording hours were what now classical people do. It's, it's the norm. 
for recording. You normally go in 10 o'clock, you get yourself together, you start at 10.30, you then will work three hours, you then have an hour break, and you work 2.30 to 5.30. And that's it. And in those two periods of three hours, it was expected that we would be able to finish two songs. Yeah. So, so we did. And that's, that was the, the output and the, 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 the great the flow of just having to come up with two complete things. But the great thing about this was you were finished by 5.30. Win a harmonica like the Beatles play. Not a toy, but a genuine Honer Marine Band harmonica, just like those played by the Beatles. Maybe what allowed the Beatles to come together was the force of their longing. Maybe it was the long studio days, the churning out of albums, the carefully crafted image. Whatever the case, they went from looking at other artists, dreaming of becoming them, to being the artists others would dream of becoming. Play along with the Beatles with your own genuine Honer Marine Band harmonica from KLIF. What the Beatles would become was beyond what any of its members could have dreamt of when they were 16 and playing harmonica in their living rooms. There were all sorts of things, as I say, that you instinctively knew. Don't try too hard. Don't work too hard at reaching for it. Because the more you reach, the more it'll recede. Mm -hmm. Just kid on that you don't even want it. Right. Something will happen. Where everyone else around us will be worrying, oh, what are they going, what's going to, oh my God, am I going on? We always related back to this accident we'd had on the motorway going from London up to Liverpool, where we'd skidded off in the snow down the bank with our van, and at the bottom of the van were this, how the hell are we ever going to get home? It's snowing, we're freezing. And someone in the group said, well, something will happen. <laughs> and it was like, that became a mantra. Right. And you know, as I say, it's actually a very good one. It's this, it's not reaching for it. It's letting it go. Love me do. Love Me Do from the Beatles' 1963 album Please Please Me. In the next episode, McCartney starts over with a ragtag band on the run. I just thought, we'll just start something that feels good and we'll build it up like the Beatles did.
McCartney, A Life in Lyrics is a co-production between iHeartMedia, NPL and Pushkin Industries. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Ah, TJ, don't you just love the music of the Beatles? Tony, that's not the Beatles. That's the DVD menu music from the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Oh, I know that, TJ. I just love the Beatles so much, I even love the sound-alike bands. Well, I'm a purist, Tony, and I'm looking through you. (laughs) I'm Tony. And I'm TJ. And we host the Untitled Beatles podcast. It's a celebration of the Fab Four with us, a couple of improv idiots. Yeah, it's like hanging out backstage at a Chicago comedy club doing bits about the best band in the world. Thank you. Now, TJ, would you say that we're like the Siskel and Ebert of Beatles podcasts? You know, Tony, I would not. The Greg Codd and Jim DeRogatis? Uh, no. Captain and Tennille? Tony, we're the Jimmy Nickel and Kurt Claudio of Beatles podcasts. Well, hey, I get to be Kurt Claudio. No, you're the drummer. I'm Kurt Claudio. Have any toast? (laughs) Untitled Beatles podcast. Listen to us wherever you get your podcasts.